to another episode of the Dowling Podcast with me, CQ, the watch guy. Uh, this is episode number five. Uh, we made it halfway to 10. I think we can make it a whole lot whole lot more. It's 12.31, March 17th. It's actually a daytime podcast, which is nice. Usually I uh, record a little bit later after work, but I figure why not let's do a little lunchtime check-in with you guys. It's actually... You know, semi-beautiful day in paradise. It was, it was sunny Monday and it's Wednesday and it's a little foggy. I heard it snowed in, in uh, New York and some places, some parts of PA for a little bit. So, uh, you know, what can we do here? But hey, you know, as long as we keep the sun on inside, uh, it will find its way outside. Either way, you know, I had a very interesting conversation this weekend with a, um, a, new, a new collector, somebody who's been around the watch space, you know, who's been, you know, admired for a long time and just kind of you know, in and out, always done a little bit of, you know, like looking around and watch stores and, you know, uh, hasn't bought anything for a while and is now ready to jump back in the, in, in the, in the fray of things. So let's say he hasn't um, purchased in about eight or 10 years um, anything heavy. He's bought little stuff here and there, but n- nothing heavy, nothing above um, uh, six, $7,000. Uh, so now he's thinking about jumping back into the, the, the watch space and, um, you know, he was just really confused because everything seems a little bit, you know, upside down. You know, he he um he remembered being able to go into stores and seeing, you know, Submariners and Air Kings and any steel Rolex and you know being offered them and uh you know even seeing things like Patek Fleet Nautiluses um you know available for sale on very short lists. So now um as he kind of jumped back into the the fray here and he's really looking at what it it looks like. Um, it's very interesting because, you know, everything's over retail, everything's in a different, much different space than, um, when he first started. So it was an interesting conversation. We actually had a nice long, uh, two hour conversation, um, just talking about, you know, the status, the state of the industry of the market, um, and why things are so different. I figured, you know, this is a really good conversation and maybe something, um, I should, you know, share with you guys and, and uh, you know, bring the topic here because, again, I do want this to be um, an educational space where you can find information and have some fun at the same time. And I do think um, there are a lot of people who've kind of been dipping their toes into the watch waters, you know, for a long time, maybe, you know, for whatever reason, maybe you know, the capital wasn't there, maybe it just wasn't time for them to spend money on the watch, maybe they just, you know, they weren't there's so many reasons why um, people admire but don't pull the trigger. Um, and if you are one of those uh, enthusiasts and now you're deciding to jump in there and really check out prices, check in the market, try to get the pieces that you've been kind of going after for a while, it is a very different place. It is um, very tough, especially if you're trying to go for, you know, Rolex, Paddock, um, AP, uh, Richard Mille, the, the the top of the top, these premium pieces that everybody wants. It is near impossible for you to walk, um, you know, walk out, walk into a store or just pick up the phone and, and call an authorized dealer or boutique and try to get uh, those pieces. And regardless of, um, you know, your, your pockets at this point, it really doesn't matter. You know, you could be somebody who's, you know, super, super wealthy or somebody who just has enough for that watch. It really doesn't make uh, a difference uh, if you're 
new to that dealer, if they don't know you, if you're not willing to, you know, establish a relationship, spend money um, with, with that dealer and show that you're somebody who's, who's, who's going to be around there for a while. So it's a very interesting place because, you know, not often do you find yourself in a, in a situation where you like something, you have the money to spend and, and afford that, um, that object, and um, it's something that's supposed to be readily available. You try to get it and, you know, seemingly just can't find it. Then when you, you go to the pre-owned market where for a very, very long time, most pieces, and still today, a lot of pieces are under retail um, and you see those same pieces over retail, right? So it's a very, you know, if you, if you haven't been really in depth in terms of the value aspect of the game, it's really hard to swallow, especially your first, you know, real swing, um, your real swing into it. So I wanted to make this a kind of, um, you know, uh, collecting tips or watch buying tips for 2021. Um, since the the landscape has changed for a little bit. So it's going to be a little bit of basic tips and a little bit of things, you know, tuned a little bit to 2021. Um, I have been in the industry, uh, this will be my 10th year in July, um, and so much has changed even in that short time span. So for collectors who've been in the game since the 80s and 90s, it, you know, it might have, it must seem like, like a thousand years have passed in terms of, you know, just how the industry works. Uh, how information is distributed. Um, when I started, there really weren't that many places to find information beyond uh, being connected to um, to groups or you know personal uh, you know friends and, and other enthusiasts who could help you out. There, of course, the forums that you know really probably were the only places where you can find nice um, conversations that are cataloged about you know various amount of topics. And you know, they're always the one thing about a community is that. You know, Thank God for it, because before the brands really tried to have information exposed out there, it really was just a community, uh, and depending on the brand, you have people who just spend a lot of time researching and putting that information um, online in these different forums, and they would catalog things like uh, you know, serial numbers corresponding with ages for Rolex, AP, and other brands, Panerai, and a few others as well, and just things that... The brands might have the information, but for a long time, it really wasn't, um, you know, it, it really wasn't just a priority. That's the right word. It really wasn't a priority for them to make that information accessible. Um, so, you know, let, let's roll back a little bit. So this, we'll, we'll be talking about buying watches, and this kind of applies a little bit from new and, and pre-owned, of course, you know, uh, being that I do mostly pre-owned, we're, we're going to really kind of hone in on this on that side. Uh, but one thing you have to to, to realize uh, from the onset here, um, especially when you're talking about a pre-owned market, the brands are still kind of adjusting themselves to the market. Some brands are doing a little bit better than others. Some brands really embrace the fact that they have such a large catalog and um, they want to give you as much information as possible uh, of the watches that are out there, even though they don't um, they don't produce them anymore. Omega is a great example of this. Um, you go to omegawatches.com. You can pop in pretty much any model number in there, and um, it will, will pull up the information on it. Uh, maybe it might give you uh, the, the old retail price, the last current retail price, but you'll be able to get, you know, figure out it's a real Omega, has some type of picture, and, and maybe get a little bit more information on it. A few, few um, companies uh, offer that. There are other companies like JLC or Paddock, um, FP Jordan, a few of the higher end companies where you can request um, archives or extract from the archives. Um, so if you get a piece um, and it's no box, no papers, at least you can know the movement that was in there, the data it was produced, and give you some type of, um, uh, you know, some type of document saying that 
it's you know a, a real piece and you know you can kind of date it a little bit give you some type of provenance there so you know that's good to know that the the some brands are a little bit more in tune with it than others some brands have full-fledged pre-owned programs uh and we're seeing you know uh, year by year month by month more brands getting more involved in a space which is a really really great thing um the more players in the space to me the, the better especially when um brands themselves are paying attention to that space because just like the car industry as soon as that you know the, the the brands really pay attention to it. That's when you'll see things be a little bit less volatile um, outside of the premium range, and then you'll see kind of stability because they'll be paying attention to it. And if they see things dip or go a little crazy, they can you know buy back or uh, you know do, do whatever they got to do to help out their their own brand um, in the long term. So um, let, let's start at the very very beginning before you um, pick a watch. In my opinion, pick the watch you want to chase for, the watches that you want to try to hunt for. You should define your collecting strategy. You should have some type of strategy in how you buy. Um, you know, in my opinion, if you're gonna go out and spend money, you should have some type of strategy, especially if it's not just if you're pure, pure leisure. You know, whether that be uh, sports betting or stocks, you, you just kind of want to know what you're doing with your money. Um, and when I when I Think about collecting strategies. You know, I think we all kind of fall into different buckets, and you know, these boxes buckets mix and match, and there's really no one defined way. I, I would call myself um, I'm turning into a, a nostalgic collector, so I'm collecting pieces that um, were important in my beginning journeys or my my whole journeys um, selling watches. So I'm going to start with brands like you know a Tissot, and then uh, you know Tissot. Might throw in a cool Longines diver in there, and then we'll go up. You know, we'll go to Omega, we'll go to Showpart, we'll go to JLC, we'll go to Breitling, of course, um, and you know, Paddock and, and things like that. But it will be um, brands that were very. Uh, Uli Snowden is going to be there. I'm going to have to throw in a Don Ross. So brands that I sold and then had really big impact in my journey, I want to collect. So I'm looking for specific models within those brands that I just remember selling at the time when they came out. So that's my current strategy. Another strategy I can see myself slipping into um, is collecting all the Navitimers. I, I would love to see a. I would love to own a you know 100% complete Navitimer set. And I think as I you know get you know. In my, in my in my later years, I think that'll be one of my journeys. I think that'll be a fun thing to just find every single uh, reference every time every time I ever made. Um, like, you know, it, it's a challenge, but I, I think it'll, it'll be fun. You know, again, this is all about the journey. It's all about the fun. Um, but you may be somebody who's just into one brand. You might be a brand loyalist, and I don't say that in a bad way. Um, some people could say I was very brand loyal to Brightland for a long time and, and many other brands. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to collect all Rolex or all AP or all uh, Gushito Original, all um, Longa and Sun, you, there's some nothing wrong with that at all. You want to go all Grand Seiko, have fun. There's some people who um, uh, are really uh, into one type of function, whether it be a chronograph or a regulator or a perpetual calendar. Um, there are people who like a mix of everything. I just think you should have some type of strategy or loose theory on what you collect and why you collect it. And, you know, what are you going to do with this watch? I think that's really important because there is such a big, broad world of watches out there. And there's just literally hundreds and thousands of brands and just as many references, if not tens of thousands of references, right, if you include every single brand uh, in existence. So it can really get... Um, it can get daunting, you know, just trying to figure a watch. Um, you know, I really 
have two golden rules when it comes to buying watches, trading watches. One, buy what you love, overall less. Overall else, you have to love the watch. Um, the watch is very unique, and it's something where you, you, when you use it, you look at it every day, right? So if you buy something you don't like, if you buy something kind of close to something you like, all you're going to think about is the watch that you really wanted, the watch that you, you, you really love, um, the watch that you really want to chase after. And then the watch that you own ends up, you know, maybe you don't wear it as much or you just kind of get not, not the best feeling and you end up maybe trading it a little bit faster than you should have, taking a loss on it, and you really feel that loss because you never really loved the watch. Um, you know, the other hand is you can buy a watch you really love, wear it for a long time, and when you, uh, I mean, maybe if you fall a little bit out of love with it or you want to trade it or sell it uh, for whatever reason, if you do take a loss on it, it hurts a little bit less because you actually enjoyed the watch. You enjoyed wearing the watch. You enjoyed the memories, the, the, the situation, just the history, you know, that you have with the watch. So the, the pain is, is cushioned a little bit by the fact that you actually enjoyed your timepiece versus it being something that you just bought because somebody told you to buy um, and you just thought you were going to make money or you just, uh, you know, one day didn't like it and you, you, you lost some money and then you're really annoyed because, ah, oh, I, didn't, I didn't even really like this that much in the first place. And that, that's really where I feel a lot of the, the, the anger comes in or, or just that bad feeling when you're, when you're trading watches, especially if you just jump into things that you don't really like. You just never really loved it. So you're just like, it's just an all-around frustrating experience instead of experience where at least on one side, like, hey, we had some good times, I enjoyed it, and I'm trading this to get something I want or I'm selling it to get some capital to do something else I need or want to do with. Um, and that takes me into my, my second rule. Um, don't let anybody pull the trigger for you, right? If you're going to buy a watch or trade a watch or sell a watch, you're the one pulling the trigger. You have your finger on the trigger and you're pulling it. Don't let somebody come and be a third base coach and take you out of your decision process or you know influence you into another de decision process that you truly don't want to do. You know it's okay to take advice and it's okay if you you, you take advice and it it, it it's it pivots your your perspective your your current thinking, but always have another evaluation phase just solo by yourself to make sure it's something you really want to do, and that again will help. Um, in the situation of getting things that you really don't want, which I think is really the, the worst case scenario, is to get something in the collection that you truly don't enjoy. Because again, you end up trading it faster than you should have if you want to retain value. Um, and it, or it just sits in your case and you never wear it. And that's just wasted capital, capital wasting, wasted space, wasted um, you know, uh, insurance premium, depending on how uh, expensive it is. And it happens all the time. You know, uh, me, myself, um, I probably told the story a thousand times of my opportunity to buy a um, a silver Snoopy uh, Speedmaster um, 45th anniversary um, Apollo, uh, which is which is a forty uh, anywhere from forty to forty six thousand dollar watch um, at the moment. I had an opportunity to buy this watch, um, you know, at deal cost. Uh, I worked at a very big Omega dealer at the time, and when there there's a good quantity of them, right, uh, one thousand nine hundred seventy pieces. Um, so we got a really large allotment and, you know, I had an opportunity to get one, but at the time, uh, you know, somebody convinced me that it would be too small for my wrist. Um, it's a 42 millimeter, not small at all, but it, that, that just got in my head and we, we were selling like, you know, bigger watches at the time, a lot of Bratlands and stuff. And I was wearing a Super Avenger a lot at the time. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe 42 is too small for me. So I let that get in my head and I, I took my name out of that, um, 
the reservation circle there. And when the watches came, again, I was thinking we were a pretty big deal. I'm like, hey, there's 1,970 of them. I should be able to get my hands on one eventually. Um, so I passed on it. They uh, arrived, immediately sold out, even in the Caribbean. So when I got to saw one, I was like, oh, I love this watch. I go up to the, the buyer and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, hey, I'll take one. He's like, ah. You know, he kind of giggled. Uh, he gave that chuckle. Uh, they were all immediate, so immediately sold out. And I had him, like, you know, beg them, please call Mega, see if we can do another one for me. All sold out um, worldwide, really, really fast on the Speedmasters. So I'm like, you know, again, I, I, I dipped into the pre-owned world a little bit at that time as well. So I'm like, hey, I'll get it pre-owned. Um, and we all know the story of that watch, which turned um, from watch at retail under 10, I think it's like 82, 8,400 or something like that, turned into a watch that sold at 12, then a watch that sold at 15, and then a watch that sold at 16-ish, 17-ish. I remember thinking at that time, like, maybe if I get one at 13 or 14, I'll pull the trigger, oh, you know, like, like kicking myself. Then it turned into a $20,000 watch and then a $25,000 watch. And I remember seeing it at 30s and like thinking, ah, you know, just like just the pain in my stomach every time I saw that watch. And now, you know, they're selling in the 40s, you know. Um, you know, who knows if I bought that watch, if I would have sold it, uh, if I would have kept it, if I would have sold it at 13 versus 40, right? Who knows um, what would have happened. Hindsight is 2020. But I, I let myself... I took myself out of having that decision whether to hold or keep that watch because somebody else, um, I listened to somebody else's advice and I didn't give myself that, that, that evaluation stage after to say, hey, you know, do I really think it's too small? Do I want to maybe try some other, other 42s on, which I should have, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I should have just tried on some speedies. And I was a bigger guy at the time as well. So there, there's just so many factors in it, but the, the biggest thing was me thinking I'd just be able to get it, right? Just me thinking, hey, I'm CQ, I have connections, I work at a pretty big dealer, I'll be able to call Down Island or something and get it, and not, it, it was um, uh, not not happening to this day, right? Uh, but hey, but that's a great lesson, and it always um, makes me evaluate by myself, right? I, I take advice, and I, I ask a lot of people around the office and other, other enthusiasts I, I trust before I buy anything, but at the end of the day, it's me, it's me, Pulling the trigger myself, only my finger is there. Nobody else is there. So good or bad, I you know I like having that on myself, and nobody, you know, edged me into it and I pulled the trigger without um, having having that self reflection stage. So that is definitely something you want to do. So we're gonna define our strategy. Right? We're gonna figure out how we we feel like collecting. Do we like chronographs? Do we like regulators? Do we like independence? Whatever you like, you know, figure it out, play around with it. But do you, Think about that and what you want to collect and what your your, your collecting theory or collecting strategy is. Just give yourself a couple guidelines there. When you're in the strategy stage as well, this is when you think about budget and how much you're willing to spend on a watch. If it's time only or if it's more complicated, what are your rules? What would make you... You know, go to the top end of, of the budget. Where is your sweet spot? You know, what would make you, you know, go go low end and stuff like that. That's all rolled up in strategy and that's something super individual. So I'm not going to, you know, dig in any more really because you got to kind of figure out what you like in watches. What about watches you like? What do you want to spend? Are you going to trade, et cetera? Um, that's really kind of a personal thing there. So next, after we define our strategy, we want to go into the research phase. And this is where, um, you know, you really have to be happy in 2021 if you're, ju you know, just jumping in or if you've been around for a long time is there's so much, um, 
so much resources for information, right? It's, it's amazing to think where we are from in 2011, it literally was, I would go on Time Zone and I would go, and of course there's Chrono24 on eBay and uh, Pierce Pro, Rolex forums and a couple other forums, but forums are really where I got most of my information. And then a few of the blogs um, were really good. There used to be an awesome blog, Watch Insider, I don't know if they're, they're around. Anyway, but you kind of had to search and, um, you know, the print product was really good at that, that time as well. There's still all you. Uh, watch time was around revolution, and then those were really where you kind of got your information if you weren't too super deep into it. As we've evolved, um, especially the YouTube and Instagram, uh, social media spaces have really pumped up there. So many great YouTube channels. Of course, got to mention Tim Masso, uh, Watchbox Studios, Watchbox uh, Reviews on um, YouTube. And, you know, somebody like Tim gives you just so much information on such a variety of watches. It's insane. Puts it on the wrist, gives you the stats, uh, gives you uh, all the details on the movement, et cetera, a little bit of history, um, depending on the format, and you really get to get his opinion. Uh, and there's a lot of great uh, video content out there. There's a lot of great um, uh, watch reviewers and people who sell watches, people who don't sell watches, uh, people who used to sell watches out there. So there's so much information in, in the space. I really, really love it right now. Um, as well as you've seen... Um, Different sites pop up, like nice aggregators, uh, Watch Recon, I really, really like. Watch Recon basically searches um, all the forums uh, and pulls up listings for you and kind of aggregates it in a really nice layout. You can use it um, on your phone or on a PC or, or Mac, and it's really good. And you can search by, you know, brands, models, you know, all type of different parameters there. But it, it does a great job of searching pretty much all the major forums, which is nice, because I do think some of the best deals out there um, can still be found in the forums, collector to collector, um, depend, depending on what you're hunting for. Um, so research, um, when we're talking about just general information about watches, um, I like the forums. Um, they You can really search random topics about bezels, about I don't like this crown, about if they're, you know, too... Uh, two different versions of a dial, two different versions of movement. You can always find good um, conversations there. You do have to dig a little bit deeper, and some people like the format. I, I enjoy the old-school forum format. I used to do a lot of PC work and, like, you know, role-playing and stuff like that. So I'm very used to that um, setup. Um, you know, Reddit, honestly, is a great place as well. Just have find random conversations about random topics. Pricing is also really interesting here. Um, with forums because they're really the only place you can get some nice historical data on um, watches. So you can search, I don't know, a, a Daytona and you can see what a Daytona, what people were asking for a Daytona in 2021, 2020, and you can go back as far as a forum, right? Of course, you got to take this with a grain of salt because you don't know exactly what the watch is sold for, but at least you had a, a, a guesstimate or a range of what somebody was asking for and you, you think nobody, logically on certain models, they won't take like 20% off of their asking price, right? So you can give yourself a kind of a guesstimate of, of what the price ranges were historically for models. You can also use that as a great way to find, um, uh, you know, what was the original box set, um, what was the original retail, um, all these forms, again, because they just add on to their dates. You can go way back um, on all the, I think, time zones, uh, was it was started in the 90s, and you can go way back and um, find original retails, original press release. That's why I like time zones. You get all the all the press releases there for brands that you know and brands that you don't know. 
and it's a great uh, Saturday read just going down the list. Um, of course, you got Chrono 24 on eBay, and this will these are marketplaces um, that will give you nice current data. Uh, you could do sold listens on eBay. You could click that to the left, and that will show you within, I think, the last 30 days or a couple of weeks what watches sold for. So that gives you a little bit of, of active pricing history. Chrono 24 is basically a watch-focused um, eBay, and they have a escrow program. The one thing you note when, on Chrono 24 or any of these marketplaces, anybody can ask whatever they want for a watch. So you really have to really take a grain, take it with a grain of salt when you're looking on some of these spaces, you have to like analyze the listing. You know, is it a, a dealer in your country? If it's not, is the currency really fluctuating? Is that why there's such a price disparency? Is it a real picture of a watch and not a posting of just a, a clipping of, of, of a press image of a watch? Um, do they have more than one picture of the watch? Uh, you, you know, things like that. Do they have any more information about their company in the in the listing? So you want to really, you know, so I take a a listing that has real pictures of the watch um, as a real bearing of price versus uh, something that's just a clip art, you know, whatever screenshot picture. To me, I don't give that as much bearing. I don't know if that person actually has the watch or you just somebody who's just doing a tech aggregator posting stuff up there. So you got to be really careful with that and just got to um, really just look at, at, at the, the whole story there. You know, oftentimes you see a watch, you know, you might see X watch for 10,000 median range and the, the high range might be 16,000 and the low range might be 7,000. So you have to really figure out is a $7,000 watch, is it, I don't know, bad condition? Is it just a private person who maybe just want, wants to move a piece and that there's a great deal there? Um, you know, you really got to dig into your information. Um, and I really like to use as much sources as possible. There's so many websites, there's watch base, there's, um, so, so many websites that can give you information. There are things like uh, Brightland Source and Panerai, the Panerai Source or Panerisi Source um, for Panerai that, again, um, just really enthusiasts of the brand, catalog so much information there. So a lot of different places to research. My advice is to research as much as possible and find your preferred methods. Again, there's so many ways. There's podcasts now, so many good podcasts out there as well to get your information from, um, so yeah, you know, forums, marketplaces like eBay, Chrome 24. Before we get off this topic, auction houses. Auction houses are probably, um, in my opinion, very overlooked because many people think, um, they don't realize to get results from auction house websites, you just got to sign up and make a free account. You don't have to like put your credit card information, anything, and you can get pretty much all the, the information for um, hammered sales, right? So not, not always the easiest to navigate depending on what you're searching for. But for the most part, you can really see what people have paid for watches. And you can also um, look at the condition, look at is it boxing papers, is it Tiffany stamp, is it double stamp by another retailer, and really kind of figure out why this watch went extra higher, why it went maybe a little bit lower than the market at the time. And then you can put in your own theory of different um, what was going on in the economy and things like that. But auctions are very, I, I'm signing for pretty much all the auction websites. Um, they're also pretty fun to watch live and all the, most of them are doing live stream um, auction events as well. And you often can find a, a decent deal. Um, I know that during uh, like peak COVID when some auctions were going on, there were a lot of great paddocks um, and other pieces um, that, that went to some very good prices that have already kind of recovered on the market. 
Um, so definitely a good place to look um, when you're buying and um, just to do your research, um, the auction houses. But research, research, research um, that is a very important part in your, your watch collecting journey. Um, just, yeah, just don't be afraid to get more information. And there, there should never be a, um, a rush to buy a watch, right? Unless you are, you know, maybe in the islands, and I say that because I used to sell there, maybe then, if, if, you know, there there's a little bit of a time crunch because you're leaving someplace. And even then, I have had many, many clients who just say, hey, man, I love the watch, and I just, I just need a day to think about it. Here's my information. Give me a call. If I say yes, we'll figure out a way to ship it or, or, or whatever. You know, and you have to respect that. Of course, you know, I want the sale and the odds of me making that sale go drastically down if you want to think on it, if you want to, because you're getting back on a cruise ship and, you know, other, uh, you know, salespeople and things, uh, so many things go into it. But as a, um, as a true, true watch advisor, right, I consider myself an advisor, not just a salesperson, you know, it is my advice to take your time. And I've, many times I've, I let people take a day and, and sometimes it, it works out and it still happens. Sometimes they decide to go another route. Sometimes they don't want to buy and they just want to think um, for months and months and, and they don't buy ever. That's great. The worst thing that I want to do is sell you a watch or put a watch on your wrist that you don't like, right? Because every day you're going to either one, look at the watch and be like, oh, CQ, show me this watch. I don't like this watch. Or it's going to be your watch roll in your case and you're like, you're going to have a negative thing attached to it because somebody forced you to buy something, right? And that should never be the case and you should never, ne never rush, never rush into um, a watch unless it's something like you've been looking at forever and ever and ever and, you know, your great deal popped up from somebody that you really, really trust, then maybe... Um, maybe maybe jump into it. Um, another thing I want to lightly touch on is when, when we're researching and we're we're looking at prices and values, and, and this is really kind of the space right now where it's um it, it's tough to navigate a, a, a little bit. You know what what I really want to state is you know watches are in my opinion watches are assets, not investments. Meaning that they are you know especially in this realm they're luxury products. You you put your hard earned money into them. They are that's in you know. They, they house value, right? Definitely. And many can keep value. Many can lose value. Some we're seeing can appreciate in value very, very much. But I think when you go into it, you really shouldn't go into it on the aspect of investment unless you are really looking at a certain slice of the watch realm. Where, where right now, you know, I used to say watches aren't investments at all, but you, there is a class now that you could call an investment. But again, this is a very risky speculative part of the the game and you have to in my opinion have a lot of capital have a lot of time to monitor that situation or really have a, a certain strategy um when going into an investment i really at, at this moment i don't really um, advise anybody to go into watches in terms of investment i do talk a lot about retaining the value of your pieces retaining the value of your collection um i, I really talk to my collectors a lot about Reevaluating their whole collection, especially if you have more than five pieces, on a good pre, pre, uh, uh, periodic basis to really see what our value is doing here, how everything's doing on the market, and see if there's pieces that you want to maybe capitalize on or pieces that you don't wear that you want to move out in case the, the value might drop even further, things like that. Sure, but to really go in there on the aspect of like, hey, I'm gonna make money on this watch. Hey, um, I'm, I'm gonna. It, it just it, it's a really tough game to play. Many do and many succeed, but there are many, many right now who are jumping in on it and they're, you know, they're they're, they're losing their shirts and losing money and they're there. There's a section on the market that it's taking pieces from true collectors who actually want to support certain retailers and support 
certain brands, and you, you know, we see it trickle down into not even Rolex and certain, you know, uh, I've seen limited edition Orises go go for over retail. We've seen Grand Seiko go go over retail um, in, in some pieces as well. I don't think over retail is necessarily a bad thing, but it it, it can be. Um, you just have to know what you get into, right? If you're gonna buy something over retail, I have no problem with that. But maybe you don't buy something over retail the minute it drops, unless it's a paddock, Rolex, something like that, where you know there's just such a guaranteed demand. And just, you know, if you don't know, when just like we have all these Rolex rumors going on right now, in about mm, next week or two, we'll start getting calls. Hey, I'll, I'm willing to send whatever amount of money to um, just hold X Rolex, the, whatever new Rolex that comes out. They don't even know um, what, what, it, what, what Rolex it is, right? So this is happening all over the country. So the demand is already there. There's demand without even showing what the, the watch is. It could be a purple watch with Barney on it. It would sell out immediately. And I, I love Barney, so, you know, <laughs> um, but it, that, that's just the, the way of life for that brand. Now, there are certain other brands that um, release watches, um, and just because maybe it's a limited edition or whatever, there's just a lot of good marketing hype on it. So we're in a situation right now, if brands do a great job of marketing and there's a nice, you know, a feeling in the, in the collector base and the enthousi enthusiasm in the, in the enthusiast base, um, then when people buy these watches or they get these watches, they try to, you know, uh, put, put it up for over retail immediately. You just got to pay attention to that. Some pieces are worth it. Like, hey, if I paid over retail on that Snoopy um, when, it, when it came out, when I first had an opportunity, um, I would have been well into the money, right? I'd have been, if, you know, if I wanted to flip it, I could flip it and make twenty to thirty thousand dollars, depending on how I, how long I held it. So um, it's all about the research. And in that case, I'd have said, hey, you know, there's only 1970 of them out there. It is a very beautiful watch. Take take price out of it, and that's something um, you should do as well. Before you pull the trigger, just take the price out and just say, hey, do I love it, regardless of price. Do I love it? You know, can I see myself wearing the watch? And when you put a silver Snoopy on, the 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 chalk white dial with the contrast of the of, of all the markers with Snoopy laying there in a chrome glass sub dial is just a really striking watch. I'm a big fan of chalk, um, chalk white dials. Uh the Super Avenger one has a really nice chalk white dial. And it's one of the first watches I fell in love with. And just a chalk white dial eliminates um the reflections and anything you put on it just gives it a really nice contrast. And the funness about Snoopy and the whole Apollo story and, and just the, the space element of it. There's just so much to love about that watch that it makes sense why it sold out. And it made sense why it keeps selling because there's just a large swath of that 1970 who won't sell the watch. And then there's another big chunk of people who don't really want to sell the watch. And as prices go up, they're just seeing a few pop out because the price is just so high. People are going to try to go in and uh, you're going to take the gains, um, you know, because again, if you bought it at retail, you paid under 10000 and now it's worth 40000 it's hard to leave 30000 um on the table uh, no matter no matter who you are. Um, yeah, so definitely research, research, strategy, strategy, combine them together, play around with it, but there's no rush in when you're buying a watch. I really, really do believe that. Um, let's see. Um, in research as well, after the, the the research phase, we, we go into like you know pulling the trigger, right? So this is a little bit more research because you have to research now the the seller or the person you're gonna be transacting with, right? So it's a broad world out there. 
there's a lot of good guys, a lot of bad guys, a lot of guys in between. Um, references are your friends. If you're going to stay private, let's talk about um, going private to private first. Uh, references are your friend. Um, you you want to deal with people that you can verify, have to deal with people that you know or, or somewhere in your you know six degrees of separation or on the, the forums or wherever there's so much good feedback about them. They post a lot. You really don't want to do business with somebody who popped up two days ago to sell one watch and you can't find any more information about them. Uh, you, know, you know, Reddit is kind of like that as well as like somebody maybe just is trying to sell one watch, um, but you could go and look at their Reddit feed and see if they post very actively. You don't want to buy anything from a ghost, right? We all have heard of stories of people buying uh, uh, buying something from eBay. You get um, a box of rocks and you go to try to find a recourse and that person doesn't exist. Um, when doing private to private, I would I would suggest never do wire wire transfers if you if you you know you, you don't know that person as a personal friend. It's just very very risky. Getting your money back is near impossible. Um, it just really it is not necessary. You could do PayPal. You could do so many things um, that will give you some type of recourse or a little bit of a layer of protection there. And you always want to protect your investment. I don't care if it's fifty dollars or a million dollars. Like it's your hard earned money. Nobody decides. Nobody gets it for free. You know, in in uh, my opinion, there. Um, so you want to research your sellers private again. Uh, try to stick to people you know, people you can really truly verify. Um, if it's on eBay, keep it on eBay. Do it through the platform. If it's on Chrono Twenty Four. Keep it on Chrono Twenty Four. Um, no reason. It, it's like a three percent fee, ten uh, percent on e eBay, depending on the case. Uh, but you, you can figure it out. It's worth your protection. Is worth not having the headaches going down the road. Uh, trust me, you don't have time to chase somebody who is being a ghost on the internet, call on PayPal, call on eBay, you know, in some cases having to file a police report, you just don't have the time for that. You know, like it, it really isn't necessary and it's not worth the 500 bucks or 5% less that you're gonna pay for that piece versus the next thing on the, um, on the market. Um, and that leads me to, um, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. You know, just don't, if the price is super, super low and like, listen, there are deals out there, right? So sometimes you might find, I don't know, like a vintage piece that's somebody just put up and it's a, a private person. They don't really know too much about the market and it's a really great value and they just want to move a piece. Sure, you know, th th that does happen once in a while. But if you see, uh, I don't know, stainless steel ceramic Daytona pan, a white dial, right? It's somewhere around the I don't know, high 20s to 30s um, right now. If you see that watch posted up for 22 dollars you know, and every other watch is 28 and up, naked, no box and papers. It's a 27.526. You know, there's something wrong there. You know, investigate it, you know, poke around, you never know. But odds are something's right. I know for a long time, there was a guy on the forums who was posting a 5711. I think he was um, some, somewhere in Europe and he, he would always post it and he, like, on a weekly basis, basis post it. And it was like, you know, 40% off from what the market was, right? If the market was asking 60, he was asking, I don't know, like, like 35, 40. I was just like, well, you know, like, what's, what's going on here? And it was somebody trying to trying to do fraud, right? But I'm sure he probably got a few people who were like, oh, man, maybe this person just doesn't know the market. Maybe they, you know, and I'm sure somebody probably got halfway. Hopefully nobody got, um, got by him. I'm so sure somebody got halfway through that transaction um, with him because he had pictures and everything like that. But again, if it, if it smells fishy, if it's like, hey, I only take wires, uh, you know, yeah. You know, if it just doesn't feel comfortable, just don't do it. It's really not 
necessary at this point. There's so many great dealers out there. Um, and there, there are a lot of great ways to do private to private. Chrome 24 is an excellent way because there's an escrow service. There's a bunch of little escrow services um, popping up all over. So do it in a trusted space. Do it, you know, if it feels funny, if it feels like you're doing too much running around, um, if, if, if the person is giving you a... Um, a hard time if you're asking questions that they just they don't want to ask. I look, you can ask me anything. You can find out all the information about me. CQ Gottlieb is only one out there. You can find my Facebook. You know what I mean? That like I'm a very visible person, and most people in this space are very visible. Of course, if you're a private and maybe you know you, you want to keep some of yourself, but like usually somebody has like a LinkedIn or like a Facebook or something that they could point you into to say, hey, um, I'm just not a ghost on the internet. But if you feel funny, just don't do it. I. You know, it's it just better safe than sorry. And it just, yeah, I, I've heard too many stories of people just taking a risk because it was a great deal and just being out of money and just having an all-around frustrating experience. So, you know, too good to be true. Just uh, just stay away. Um, now, moving on from private, you have dealers. A um, lot, lot of different levels. Really uh, quickly, we'll just touch between new gray market pre-owned. So what I consider a new watch, right, is a watch that I went into a dealer or I called the authorized dealer from, purchased the watch. The watch is dated for the date that I purchased that watch or date it was shipped or date I picked it up. Um, I have full warranty of that watch in my name if it's a situation where uh, the warranty is under my name. That is the only situation I consider a brand new watch. If it's, somebody says it's a new watch, but you're not buying it from an authorized dealer, it's not a new watch. I don't care if it's stickers on or whatever. It's just not a new watch. It's a mint condition, you know, like new, 100 out of 100% great condition-wise, blah, 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 but it's not a new watch, right? So we, we have to take that take that element out of it. We see somebody on Chrome 24 posting a new watch. It's not a new watch. Just to let you know, big brands like Rolex and Paddock don't allow for... Uh, new dealers to post product with prices um, online. And you'll never see it on a Chrome 24. You'll never see it on an eBay. It doesn't exist. So if somebody is like brand new in box, da, 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 you know, not really. You know, condition is great, but it's not a truly new watch because the date on the paper isn't going to be the date you purchase it and your name isn't going to be on it. Um, not to say you can't use the warranty on it or something like that, but it's not a new watch. So I, I just don't like when people use that terminology because it's not an... You know, people pay more for a new watch because you get the experience, right? You pay more at an authorized dealer um, or nice retail establishment or boutique because you want the experience. You want to know, um, you know, who you're going to, if it gets service, you want to have some champagne when you're buying it or you want that 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 that, that experience. And that's why you buy new. And there's nothing wrong with um, buying any piece new, even if something that's heavily discount on the pre-owned market if you're getting that value, right? Again, uh, I started my career in the Caribbean, in the cruise ship market. It's all about experience there. So people would buy there and and not even worry about a discount because, you know, uh, people know your name. They're, uh, you know, there are associates there who've been there for over 30 years and they've been uh, families who come and visited uh, St. Thomas or in the, in the islands regularly for, for, you know, 30 years or every couple of years and they know each other. They they text them when, when they land. They maybe they do a little bit of shopping. They have lunch. They, they have dinner. They've seen the, the kids growing up. So it's a whole different type of experience. So that family or, or those clients are willing to pay full retail, close to retail because of the level of experience they're getting because they're shopping with somebody 
that they've known for so long. They're invested in the relationship and vice versa, right? So in my opinion, if you have a, a situation where you're investing in the relationship and the dealer is investing in, in vice versa, investing back into the relationship with you, no, no problem with buying something at retail, close to retail, depending on what it is, and you're getting that value. Maybe that value might not be, be in price. Maybe that value might be in you know, a watch winder or a watch roll or other things or, you know, jewelry or things like that. There's there's a lot of ways to to cut it there. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of experiences out there. I know some companies do boat tours. I know some, some companies do, um, you know, wine events and things like that. So there's a lot of great reasons to buy um, brand new product as well. Um, I never want to steer somebody away from that. It's just, you know, if you're, you know, if, if they're asking for full value, you should ask for full value as well in terms of the experience, and, and that's all I, I'll, I'll say there. When we're talking gray market, uh, this is um, a space in the market which is kind of, it, it was turned into full-fledged pre-owned now, but gray market was basically, uh, you know, a dealer who is not the authorized dealer would get you a product that is like new mint condition. Sometimes they'll call it new, sometimes they say brand new and pop. So basically, they're getting a piece that you couldn't get um, brand new for you. Um, and for a long time, you you know, a lot of pieces were with a discount on it and things like that. Now some pieces are over retail. It all depends. So gray market is basically um, somebody who's bought a new product and they are now selling it. Um, and uh, again, they may call it new, they may call it mint, but that's basically what, but it's in relatively new condition or, or bought relatively recently. And then you come into pre-owned, uh, which, you know, I, I do pre-owned this with the watch boxes. We sell pre-owned watches. So even while we have watches that are mint, like new condition, we sell nothing that's new and we call nothing um, that we sell a new watch uh, because we're very transparent. I do think there's a there's a big element of transparency when you call something a new watch, but you're not an authorized dealer that, um you know, you, you can get a lot of, uh, you know, novice collectors with. And it's just something that I, I like to educate people from. Uh, so know who you're dealing with, know what type of prices or discounts you can expect from each category. Again, this all goes... Um, it, this goes back into research, right? So we have our strategy, we have our theory, we figured out what we're gonna buy, we figured out why we're gonna buy it, we figured out where we're gonna wear it. We did our research on the models, we did our research on the pricing and you know where it's available, how it's available, all, all that stuff. Um, and we, we purchased the watch, we pulled the trigger, we figured out the dealer that we liked. Um, you know, uh, I'll jump back in on dealers. Uh, there's a few things, right, um, in 2021 we have to adjust with. One is not being able to see all the watches in person. There's way more sight unseen purchases out there just because, one, you may not want to leave um, where you are to go to a, a, a dealer. Dealers have, like us, have changed hours and we're kind of doing an appointment only so you can't pop in like normal. And maybe you just don't want to be in a crowded place and you know, be, you know, you maybe just don't want to be in a crowded place. So a lot of sight unseen purchases here. Now, depending who you deal with, um, most company, good companies have um, a nice return policy. You deal with us at the watch box, we give you seven days to see it. Um, if, if it's not for you, send it back. Uh, we take care of everything there, full refund, no no hassle, no uh, questions asked, all, all that good stuff. So you want to make sure you have a good return window there. If it's a piece that you never tried on before. You also want to know your wrist size. If you know your wrist size, you can ask the person that you're purchasing from to have somebody with a similar wrist size try it on to kind of gauge if the size is something that you like. Something easy to do. Um, some companies, um, actually I think we, we might be the, 
Uh, some companies doing virtual showings. I know where we really kind of went hard into it and we have this really nice HD rig. So you, you know, if you call me, set up an appointment, we can do a vir virtual showing and I can show you the products in a HD full, full, you know, 4K video and you can see every inch of the watch. I could try it on my wrist, other wrists as well because I want to bridge that gap as much as possible to give you as much a feeling of you seeing the watch that we can. Um, and then when you get the watch, if you get it and we did all that and you still don't like it, I'll you know just send it back to me. Uh, it's, it's no hassle there. So that's something you do want to be aware of, return policies, servicing as well. You know, has the piece been serviced? Um, what type of warranty? And um, as we wind down, warranty is very, very important. So uh, you take the Watchbox warranty, we give you two-year warranty on any products. If it's a brand, um, you know, Rolex, AP, anything high-end, goes directly to the brand. Um, if it's something that we're trained for and it's a very simple, simple task, our watchmakers here will, will handle it. But for the most part, we send things back to the brand. And I think that's really important. And that's why, you know, the quality of your pieces are just a notch above uh, most. And the, 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 the level of satisfaction and the, the headache-free um, purchase is what I like to call it. We could get we you have that because even if something goes wrong, we try our very very best to make sure the watches are perfect when it get to you. You know that when it's getting serviced, it's usually going back to the brand or you know it's getting the best course um, of work as possible. It's not just going to Joe Schmo down the, the street to work on it where you have to worry about is he certified, is he trained, is he using the right parts, are there going to be any issues down the road, things like that. That's something very uh, important to um, think about and also what is the timing of that warranty. Because of service, you know, right now even on a even on a watch that's two, three thousand dollar retail, your service is probably starting a full mechanical service minimum Three fifties. You get into the Rolex world, five to seven fifty. I think just open a case now. For time only pieces, you start to get complicated. Uh, goes up more, and you, you know brands like, you know Paddock, AP, etc. Now you're talking anywhere from you know, eighteen hundred to five thousand to ten thousand or or more if you're going to mini repeater, uh, crazy turbine territory. So warranty and the cost of ownership definitely something you want to um, pay attention to and really. Know when you're talking to your, your seller, will they have your back if anything goes wrong? These are mechanical pieces. There are a lot of human elements here, which means there are room for mistakes. There are watches that get sent out that just need a little bit uh, extra attention. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it can happen to any brand. And I've seen every brand have have some issue. Sometimes it's not uh, big at all, but it just causes everything to stop. Or for whatever reason, you just always want to know that... Um, you're in good hands, uh, like Allstate would say, and I definitely would see you. You're, you're in good hands there. Yeah. So this has been a um, uh, a podcast about buying watches in 2021. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I know I did. Uh, it's 121, so I got almost an hour here with you. Um, yeah. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, if you wanna. Let me know your topic um, that you want to speak about or have any questions I can answer for you here. Email me at cq at thewatchbox.com. Put in the subject of dial-in podcast. I'd be happy to answer your questions here or privately. And you can also uh, text me at 484-926-8762. That's 484-926-8762. And I'd be happy to answer your questions there. And, uh, you know, just feel, feel free to say hi and holler. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Catch you next time. Buy what you love. Thank you.